talk about guilt and shame. Uh, Guilt and shame are two complex emotions. And both guilt and shame stem from perceived... It's a perceived sense of wrongdoing. Um, But it's important to understand the difference. um, Because they're they're two totally different... um, They function differently. And when, when you're dealing with a narcissist, keep in mind that they don't have, they don't experience guilt and shame. People with severe, you know, narcissistic personality disorder or just narcissists, you know, they, they don't experience the emotions the same way a normal person does. So they may do something wrong and not feel guilt or shame at all. Um, and that's the difference. They have no empathy. So pay attention to that when you're dealing with people. Um, <clears throat> guilt is is focused on a behavior, and they call guilt a moral and adaptive emotion. It's it's a moral, you know, it's it's your moral compass, so to speak. While shame is focused on the wrongdoer's identity. So if a person doesn't have a very strong identity, they may not even experience shame at all. Um, let me say that again. Guilt is focused on a behavior, and it's really <clears throat> the moral compass. It's, it's a moral and adaptive emotion. So you feel guilty, you know, you, you, chances are if you feel guilty, if you've done something wrong, you feel guilty about it. You won't do it again. While shame is focused on the wrongdoer's identity. You feel shame and then that kind of rattles your whole being. <clears throat> shame causes a fear response that makes us either feel defensive or hide which doesn't allow us to step back and see what we can do differently. But again, a person that doesn't experience, a narcissist doesn't experience these emotions. They don't experience guilt or shame. So they don't hide. They don't get defensive because they don't, honestly, they don't care. So you may think, oh, that person, they don't get rattled. They must have a really strong sense of self. No, that's not the case at all. It's quite the opposite. A person that is a normal, healthy person, we all make mistakes. And so when a person experiences shame, a healthy, normal person, they're going to want to hide or they're going to be feel defensive but the key is to heal the shame that you've experienced because a lot of our shame comes from our childhood um, and so we may experience a totally different situation as an adult um, but it triggers the shame from when we're a child so we want to hide just like a child And shame may, may keep people from changing their behaviors, which can be damaging as well. 
if we experience shame as allies, then we won't want to acknowledge the times we benefited. You know, racism is an example of that. You know, there's a lot of shame and guilt, you know, associated with racism. You know, if we if if a person grew up in a racist race, a racist environment, then they may it may be just ingrained in them that there is a part of them that is racist, and that may just trigger um, guilt and shame. Um, but again, if they're a narcissist, they're not going to care. They're not going to they're not going to experience those emotions, and that's what's difficult um but in you know corporate america um i mean i worked for this one corporation this was several years ago and i i was a design director and so i would hire you know i would hire designers to be on my team and i remember i wanted to hire a dominican and I wanted to hire an African woman. And I remember the owner of the company, and I didn't, you know, it wasn't about color. I just thought these people were the best qualified. I liked these people, they were qualified, they had a great resume, and that's why I wanted to hire them. And the skin color, I didn't even think about. I just wanted talent, and I wanted people, and, you know, it's all about, and when you work in the design, um, especially in the fashion industry, it's all about the portfolio. It's all about the designs and what the per- person produces. And so <clears throat> I remember like talking about you know, these people and you know, wanting to hire them full time and make them employees. The one person was freelancing and I remember the owner saying to me, whispering, we don't hire black people. We haven't hired black people in 30 years. And I was horrified. I was absolutely horrified. And I remember, you know, I hired, I couldn't hire the freelancer. They wanted to keep her as a freelancer, which was fine because she still was employed by me and us and our team. Um, we hired the African-American woman and, you know, I, I said I would deal with it. If any issues came up, I wasn't really worried about it. Um, and I remember I was, we all had to, um, we had a dinner in Manhattan and I was telling the story. And on one side of me was a different Dominican from Chicago and the other um, I don't remember if this person was next to me or across from me um, on the other side was the the other Dominican that was our freelancer and <clears throat> and then way down at the end of the table was the African woman that I hired but she kept looking at me and like nodding her head and giving me these signals that I didn't really understand what was happening and anyway, I was telling the story about being at the Grand Canyon. And, you know, the Grand Canyon, to me, was such just such a amazing place. 
Um, I love animals and I love nature. And so I was just, we were talking about stories of the Grand Canyon. And all of a sudden my African-American, I watched her talk to the vice president and all of a sudden she got up, she walked, you know, this was a long table. There were a bunch of us at this dinner. She came down and she, she tapped me on the shoulder and she whispered in my ear and she's like, I have to switch seats with you. And I, I'm in the middle of listening and talking about the Grand Canyon and I was like, what are you talking about? It felt so intrusive and so rude and, and like, why are you moving me out of my seat? This dinner is going to be served any minute. And I didn't understand what was happening. So I got up out of my chair and I scooted over and then she ended up moving. She got, I don't remember, like she moved the two Dominicans away from each other and I was moved to a different section of the table. And I asked her the next day, I'm like, what the hell was that? You know, and I'm thinking to myself, why is my administrative assistant moving me? Why is this musical chairs happening? And she said to me, the VP did not want the two Dominicans sitting near each other talking. And I asked her, I said, talking, talking about what? What were we talking about? I asked her that question. What were we talking about that was so bad that the two Dominicans, you know, couldn't sit next to each other and engage in a conversation? And why did you have to interrupt us? Like, I was so angry because I loved the Dominicans, both of them. I was angry and insulted that my own administrative assistant was moving me. And we were talking about the Grand Canyon and riding goats down the mountain and walking with goats and seeing coyotes and seeing birds in the Grand Canyon. That's what we were talking about. And there's no secret. There was no secret, you know, (laughs) no secret story here. Um... And yet, the VP had a real problem with the two Dominicans and me, apparently. It it appeared that we were talking about some secret story. And she didn't like it. So she split us all up and moved us to a different part of the table. Because it looked suspicious. And yet, there was nothing suspicious about the conversation. And I was angry because I thought it was one, I thought it was really rude. And it told me what a racist company this was. And to separate two people because they're Dominicans, you know, you would think the opposite. You'd want to bring them together because they, they're from the same country. You know, that was a red flag for me because when you start disconnecting people and separating people, that's a sign of mental illness. Ending, cutting off people, you know, ending things, separating people. That's a red flag. You know, bringing people together 
and connecting people, that's a sign of a healthy person. Bringing two Dominicans together and sharing a story about the, the Grand Canyon, that's a healthy story. And it was an interesting story that we were all engaged in. You know, we were all, all fantasizing and, and looking at <clears throat> the Grand Canyon. We were in the middle of Manhattan sharing this story. And so, you know, this is what I'm talking about. Like the, the woman that moved us, she had no sense of shame, no sense of guilt, moving us in the middle of the restaurant. Um, it was just weird. And it, it was a huge red flag, like you are a racist. And it was also degrading for me because I was the head of the department. But when I look at that company now, and I obviously don't work there any longer, I haven't worked there for many, many years, but their stock is at $4 a share. So this VP, she's doing a lot wrong because their stock is in the toilet. Um, and that's just, that's not, that's not a company that I want to work for. That's not a company I support. You know, we were all shamed. You know, we were all moved. The The conversation was disrupted. It was, inter- she interrupted us and scattered us. And she wasn't even near us. She was at the opposite end of the table. But whatever she saw, she didn't like. Maybe she saw that she wasn't a part of a part of the conversation. Maybe she saw that we were having fun and we were enjoying each other and we actually all liked each other. And maybe she felt left out. Maybe she didn't like it. But I know for a fact that she didn't like the Dominicans sitting next to each other because that's what was told to me. But I loved the Dominicans, still do. So that's on her. Maybe she needs to pay more attention to the business and running the business because their stock is at $4. And if it goes, if it continues to go down, they're going to be, you know, removed from the New York Stock Exchange. How about that? I'm hoping that she has guilt from that situation because guilt can be constructive. You know, I hope she felt guilty, like, God, you know, I was being a real asshole. Why am I splitting, why am I moving people and splitting people up? She was such a strange woman. Shame is destructive. The threat response many people experience during shame is a big part of why so why it's so counterproductive. Shame is connected with the limbic system. It's part of the brain that influences the autonomic nervous system, which is why we have the fight or flight response. So when people feel shame, they wanna leave. And in that restaurant, I wanted to get up and leave. I was embarrassed. She, like, I don't know what she was doing. Guilt, on the other hand, is associated with the prefrontal cortex, the logical thinking part of the brain. Guilt can also trigger activity in the limbic system, 
but it's really shame that triggers that fight or flight response. And I wanted to fight. And that's why it can feel so anxiety provoking. It's the stress response that associated with the, the prefrontal activity, the adrenal rush that helps move you forward um, to repair whatever you did wrong. You know, guilt is a cognitive reaction to the breach of a learned value, and it requires thought and action. Acute shame experiences, which all therapists call a shame attack, can trigger immediate physical changes associated with the fear response. Shame is raw, and it's, it, it typically doesn't involve cognitive processes like log- logical thinking or reasoning. It's an automatic stress response that hijacks the brain. Shame also links with shame is also linked with self-protection. The experience of shame recruits the same brain circuits that prompt people to hide from physical from to hide from physical danger. Shame isn't associated with cognition at all. At the precise moment shame is triggered, we are emotionally hijacked and there's no prefrontal activity. When we feel shame, we automatically want to be anonymous and we want to be invisible. We want to hide. The automatic desire to hide can trigger immediate and long-term biological changes. Shame, you know, when you see people that have bad posture, you know, their, their chest is kind of sunken in and their, their shoulders are, you know, kind of humped over. That's the body posture of someone that has experienced a lot of shame. It's a physical expression of wanting to disappear. And because it's a type of stress response, it, it can also lead to a common symptom of sympathetic activation like blushing cheeks, increased body temperature, sweating or queasiness you know it's you can think of it as embarrassment but shame is a much more dramatic emotion i feel shame i want to hide i want to crawl under the table toxic shame can have long-term physical and emotional effects on us shame arises from trauma You know, infants who experience trauma or kids who never found secure attachments to their parents often experience what we call toxic shame. It's this deep-seated feeling of being unloved or unworthy, unlovable. You know, people experience fleeting moments of shame from time to time, but people who experience toxic shame experience it in every area of their identity. It's toxic. It's an a toxic it's a toxic moment that affects our whole body. Shame is our greatest fear on steroids. It's our fear of not being enough, not mattering, of being a failure. 
This type of shame can have long-term mental and physical effects. I'm broken. I'm not good enough. I'm bad. I'm ugly. You know, it can trigger hopelessness or helplessness. And it can look a lot like depression. Or it can develop into depression. This type of shame is associated with an increase in depression, anxiety, or eating disorders. Shame is what is typically lurking beneath the anger and depression and anxiety in the vast majority of clients. If you uncover the layers, you, you will get to the core, which is shame. People don't want to look inside of themselves and acknowledge their mistakes or just acknowledge how poorly people have treated them. Because if I do, then I'm buying into the narrative that I'm bad and I'm not good enough, which is not true. It's, that's not true. You know, in the case of me sitting in the restaurant, I was shamed by the VP. She was my boss's boss and she embarrassed me and I was pissed off quite honestly and you know when I was told that you know the VP didn't want the Dominicans sitting next to each other why are you moving me but she had to make this whole big production over the seating arrangement and it she humiliated me in front of my staff which was you know you could say that's just that's abusive it's very very immature this woman was so immature it felt like mean girls in high school and stay away from the mean girls in high school they're stunted they're still in high school they will always be in high school that's not the crowd you want to hang around. You know, this toxic shame can increase the risk of substance abuse and addiction, and it's also isolating. So people who view themselves as worthless may abuse alcohol or drugs, largely because they've missed out on the warm, fuzzy feelings associated with oxytocin which is the social bonding hormone. So instead of, you know, experiencing that fuzzy feeling of oxytocin, they they fill up their their body with chemicals. Alcohol, even, you know, smoking marijuana, things like that. So they can numb themselves. You know, during times like this, when it's especially stressful, we have the pandemic and we have this all the political stuff that's happening right now, which is, makes it even more stressful. We have, you know, you know, all this COVID makes us forces us to be isolated, and yet we try to connect with each other. You know, we we be we're creative and we we. We're on Zoom and we have Zoom calls with friends or family. But shame causes us to look down and it keeps us apart. It keeps us from making contacts with each other. We feel shamed. 
Shame, unlike guilt, which usually propels people to change, can prevent personal change and growth, which can cause people to feel stuck. That's the paradox of shame. You feel like a horrible person. You want to feel better, but the self-reflection required to improve your life probably feels threatening. So you stay in a fight-or-flight mode as a way to protect yourself, and the cycle continues. With shame, I don't want to look inside and acknowledge my mistakes, because if I do, I'm buying into the narrative that there's something wrong with me, or there's something, that I'm bad, or I'm not good enough. to focus on changing thoughts that may result in this negative behavior. Since shame is an automatic response to a threat, it it requires a different type of approach. You know, try to envision yourself and others through a different lens. I think sometimes we we see ourselves you know the way that we the way that we not necessarily are you know we may be a good person but if if our mother is constantly criticizing us and telling us that we're not good enough we may start believing that we're not good enough it becomes trauma-based shame We need to be more self-compassionate towards ourself. That's the most important part. Self-compassion, self-love. It's, it's all about being kind and understanding and just supporting yourself. No one, no one else is going to, like, my boss did not stand up for me. She did not support me. And clearly she wasn't supporting the business either because their stock is in the toilet. You know, some people love to humiliate other people. Makes them feel bigger. You know, that's a sadist. Stay away from those people. Regardless of what happens, you know, just you can still be kind and understanding to yourself. Even if you failed, you know, some of the most successful billionaires have failed over and over and over and over. You just have to keep trying. Failure leads to success. yourself during pain and failure and perceiving one's experience as part of a larger human experience. People overcome fear and anxiety, connecting with others and improving your overall well-being. 
know, it's all about being kind to yourself in those moments when you you want to leave or you feel angry or feel sad. You have to self-soothe yourself. Work on letting yourself off the hook when you mess up. fight or flight and you want to run and hide that's okay do it but then recognize and feel the feeling recognize okay I'm feeling shame right now I want to run and hide so I am hiding I'm isolating myself but then recognize and say you know what I'm gonna come back out now I'm gonna give myself a timeout now I'm gonna come out and I'm I'm okay now so giving yourself a timeout Give yourself a couple hours and then reconnect with people, reconnect with friends. Allow yourself to learn and grow from your own mistakes. Don't stay sitting in your mistakes and wallowing in your mistakes. Recognize I've made a mistake, I feel guilty, I feel shame, and then I'm going to try and get it, I'm going to get up and I'm going to try again. Because when we accept our own shame and our own pain, we can actually learn from that. We can do a better job next time. And we can also do a better job, you know, in recognizing the shame and pain in other people. And it also can help us connect with empathy and having empathy for other people. Oh, I recognize that shame. I've felt that. I know that. I know that fight or flight response. You will then see it and recognize it in other people. It's all about learning and growing. 